It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. We have been discussing objections to the deity of Christ. Such objections fly in the face of the repeated New Testament assertions of his deity and to Jesus' own personal claims. The deity of Jesus Christ lies at the very heart of the Christian faith. If he is not divine, then the Christian faith is a pipe dream. It's as simple as that. There are three biblical phrases that skeptics use to support their denial of Jesus' deity. The phrases are, only begotten, the firstborn, and the beginning. In the last episode, we discussed the phrase only begotten. It is actually a mistranslation of the Greek word monogenes. Linguistic studies in the 20th century discovered that word rather than meaning only begotten, instead really means one of a kind or unique. Christ is the one of a kind eternal son, the second person of the Trinity. The second phrase skeptics use to deny the deity of Christ is the firstborn. It is derived from the Greek word prototokos. There are seven occurrences of this Greek word in the New Testament. Two refer to the fact that Jesus was Mary's first child. In the last episode, I began the discussion of the five other occurrences. The first is Colossians 1.15, which calls Christ the firstborn of creation. We have discussed that this means Christ is the producer of creation and not the product of creation. Thus, creation owes its existence to him and is maintained under his power. The conclusion is that Prototokos is expressing his existence prior to and preeminence over creation. This has special significance in connection with the preceding statement of Colossians 1.15, which says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. That affirms his deity. I frequently say Christ is the visible portrait of the invisible God. As John 1.18 says, he fully explains the Father. His every action and word reveals what God is like. Christ went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his one-of-a-kind son 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In Colossians 1.18 and Revelations 1 verse 5, firstborn is used in reference to Jesus' resurrection. Colossians 1 verse 18 says that Christ is the firstborn from the dead, or out of the dead. Just as in regard to the creation, Jesus had priority and preeminence in regard to resurrection. Indeed, verse 118 part B emphasizes the fact by saying that in all things he may have the preeminence. What is conveyed in Colossians 1 verse 18 does not imply that Jesus is the firstborn because he had been raised from the dead. Rather, had not Jesus been raised from the dead, no others could have been resurrected, and the church could have never been brought into existence. Unlike others previously raised, like Lazarus, Jesus had been raised to die no more. And at the end of time, those resurrected will die no more. The third use of prototokos in Revelations 1.5, where it speaks of Jesus Christ in connection with his death and resurrection. Here it informs us that he is the firstborn of the dead. There is no preposition in the original of Revelation 1 verse 5 according to the best manuscripts. In contrast to Colossians 1, verse 18, where the preposition is ek, meaning out of, is used. Here is there, the term firstborn bears the sense of priority, preeminence, superiority, headship. The distinction between the two passages is that in Revelations 1, verse 5, stresses the fact that Christ was dead. Compare Revelation 1, verse 18. While in Colossians 1, verse 18, stresses the fact that he rose from the midst of the dead. Just as in Colossians 1, verse 15, where the firstborn is used objectively to denote creation owes its existence to him, so here, the fact that saints are given the promise of being raised from the dead is due to his own resurrection. The fourth reference to firstborn is in Romans 8, verse 29, where Paul writes, For those whom he, God, foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. This indicates that Christ is the pattern or type to which all saints are to be conformed in a relationship where Christ stands in his position as preeminent over them as head of the church. This divine connection is a matter of pure grace, Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 13, informs us that in bringing many sons to glory by his death on the cross, Christ is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
in that consummation, he will say, Behold, I am the children whom God has given me. The fifth passage where firstborn is used is Hebrews 1 verse 6, which says, When God, again, brings the firstborn into the world. The word again implies there was a former time in the past when God brought the firstborn into the world. That surely is referring to the birth of Jesus. Now, Hebrews 1.6 is pointing to a future event when the firstborn is brought into the world. That refers to the second coming of Christ. The time referred to is marked by the divine decree. Let all the angels of God worship him. At his birth, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. Luke 2, verse 13. But upon his return to earth in his manifested glory, all the angels will worship him. Christ will occupy the preeminent position in the very place of his former humiliation, rejection, and crucifixion. In connection with his saints, Jesus as firstborn from the dead is in Colossians 1 verse 18, also called the beginning. The skeptic of his deity would say if he had a beginning, then he is not eternal and thus is not God. But as the beginning and the end, that implies he is the only one of a kind. In his resurrection lies the source and potentiality of the spiritual life of believers in Christ. His resurrection is the promise and the pledge of their resurrection. His propitiatory sacrifice is the beginning and the end of sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 10.26 says, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. As the beginning and the end, He is the only way to the Father. If we see Him, we have seen the Father. He is the beginning and the end in God's plan of salvation. He is the one reconciler and mediator between God and man. He is the one upon whom was laid our sins as our substitute. As the head, he alone rules, guides, unites, sustains our life. He is our all in all. Another category of objection is that skeptics claim that even some of Jesus' own statements deny his deity. First, Jesus said, Why call me good? There is none good but God. Matthew 19, verse 17. The implication is that Jesus is saying, I'm not good, so I am not God. My response is, this is not a denial of his deity, but a question to the questioner. Jesus is asking the man, are you calling me good? Then are you calling me God? Second, Jesus said, the Father is greater than I, in John 14, verse 28. Jehovah's Witnesses use this verse to deny Jesus' deity. 
First, the Father God as spirit is greater than Jesus as man. Second, the Father's office is greater than that of the Son. Third, Jesus said, But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. In Mark 13, verse 32. The assumption is that if the Son does not know that hour, then he could not be omniscient. So then he cannot be God, since omniscience is one of the attributes of God. Yet the Apostle John affirms that the disciples said, Now we know that you know all things, and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe you came from God. John 16, verse 30. We gain a proper perspective by understanding the nature of the Incarnation. The eternal second person of the Godhead, the Son, was, prior to the Incarnation, one in person and nature. In the Incarnation, when he was born of Mary, he became two in nature while remaining one person. Remember the Chalcedonian definition says Jesus has two natures, human and divine. It is necessary to distinguish between things done in Christ's human nature and his divine nature. If the one nature, say the divine nature, does something that the other nature, his human nature, cannot do, that does not imply a contradiction of his deity. In the Incarnation, the person of Christ is the partaker of the attributes of both natures, so that whatever may be affirmed of either nature, human or divine, may be affirmed of the one person of Jesus Christ. Though Christ sometimes operated in the sphere of his humanity and other times in the sphere of his deity, in all cases, what he did and what he was could be attributed to the one person. The gospel accounts are clear that Christ operated at different times under the influence of one or the other or both of his two natures. Indeed, Christ operated in his human sphere to the extent that it was necessary for him to accomplish his earthly purpose as determined in the eternal plan of salvation. At the same time, he operated in the divine sphere on numerous occasions to openly demonstrate that he was and is the divine Messiah. In the last two episodes, I have addressed three phrases skeptics use to deny Jesus' deity, only begotten, the firstborn, and the beginning. Skeptics also point to Jesus' own words as reasons to deny his deity. Most of their objections are refuted by either a better understanding of the phrases or the words of Jesus or by the two natures of Christ. Hopefully, our discussion will help you in your study of the gospel. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. 
If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.